Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through on the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Nerder She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour, with Mo DeKeel. Are you ready to be entertained? And Seth Hartnow. Hello and welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. I'm Dave Dufour and it's Friday. That means it's Nerder. She wrote, joining me as they do every single week, even All-Star Week, Mo DeKeel and Seth Partnow. What's up, guys? Wish you were in Utah with me. I don't. It's cold. It looks uh, cold over it, there. It's a it's, dry it's, cold. It's, no, no. It's dry, cold, wet, cold. Cold. It's snowed enough for all 50 states in Wisconsin today, so I don't feel like I'm missing much by not being there. I, I got to say, um, I drove. so I drove here from L.A., and I made it halfway in my van, and the clutch gave out in the van. I really wish you guys had been there for that. Um, that would have been a lot of fun. I was stuck in Vegas for a night, treated myself to Nobu on Valentine's Day alone. It go. was great. It was a it was a good experience. Um, shout out to the the folks that work at the Virgin Hotel. It's a great hotel in Las Vegas. They took good care of me. Uh, guys, I'm gonna just uh, jump right into this because I've got stuff to do out here in Utah, and uh, I'm really excited about my favorite thing because. For what is this the second out of the last three weeks? I get to say Danny Green is my favorite thing. He's back. <laughs> Danny Green is on one of my favorite teams in the league, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, he is sort of the perfect addition. They needed, I felt like they needed a veteran guy. They they definitely needed a three and D wing who could come off the bench. Uh, I think Isaac Okoro is probably going to remain the starter, but Danny Green's going to be on a playoff team um, in the East. We're back. Danny Green is perfect for the Cavs, right, guys? I mean, if he can play, Dave, like I know you're you're super excited. I don't know how much they can give him and everything like that. I think it's more a uh, great if it works out, awesome. But, like, this was a flyer. So I'm happy that you're happy, Dave. I'm not trying to be negative. There's nothing flying about Danny Green anymore, sadly. So it's a we need a better term for flyer for I think we need a better term for flyer for like the old guys who can't jump anymore. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what you would call. I mean, grounded to dry. It's a dry run, right? Like they're they're testing yeah. it out. I mean, if if you know, it remains to be seen if if Danny Green could be a contributor, right? Like, yeah. Um, but we know that his rotations are on defense are always going to be smart. We know that he's going to jack up threes. Like he's a willing shooter. Um, he'll space the floor for them. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But I'm excited because I, you know, I think Danny Green's going to wind up in that playoff rotation. I hope. I hope at least. Um, Seth, wh- what's your favorite thing this week? The so new, it's the same, it's old again. Uh, Brooklyn Nets. Perfect. They team. took a. They they took about a four year timeout and they're back. It's the it's the the gritty gutty interchangeable underdogs. I love it. It's an upgraded version. It's an upgraded version of it. I mean, and no. now look, Jared Jared Allen is better than than Claxton, but Claxton is is such a, he I looks mean, like Jared Allen young, right? Uh, I a little mean, bit more switchy. Claxton now is better than Jared Allen then. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. I, I I mean, I just think, yeah, we're back to where they were when they were the fun team and everything like that. I think the more important question is going to be, have they learned their lesson? 
When the really hot girl in free agency stares at you, do you dump all your friends to go hang with the, with her? We'll, we'll we'll find out over time, but I think that's the uh, interesting question. But they're a lot of fun. Side benefit to the death of free agency, though, is that teams like Brooklyn can't screw themselves over in the summer and hand over the keys to anybody, right? Like they're going to have to. I mean, now they they've got some assets, so maybe they trade for a star, but that's a little bit different, maybe than than you know what they wound up doing with KD and Kyrie. So maybe that can protect them. The death of free agency actually helping teams stay safe from them, from themselves. Never doubt a team's ability to do something stupid, Dave. Just just put that in the clock. All 30 teams just never doubt it. It's it's a it's the we've had this many days without doing something stupid sort of sign um over over time. Just never doubt that ability. Mikael Bridges with a 45-point game out of just nowhere. Um, it, I mean, it, it will be interesting, Seth, to kind of like watch him because he's going to be the number one option, I'm assuming. And that's going to be an interesting sort of turn in his development. Like we we saw like the off-the-dribble stuff from him pretty early, and then they expanded on that the last couple seasons in Phoenix. But he's never been, you know, burdened I'd say with with as much of the load as I think he's going to have in Brooklyn I mean he's probably the most talented offensive guy they've got that's not Cam Thomas Cam Thomas is obviously coming (laughs) off the bench but you know and now I think that's a mistake I think when you have all these three and D wings these you know everybody's six seven six eight six nine that's the perfect team for Cam Thomas to lead you know and and then you can slide Mikael Bridges into that number two role this is I'm just going to lobby on this pod from now on. I want Danny Green minutes and I want more Cam Thomas. It's a theory. <laughs> a no, I, one, but uh, I, yeah. <laughs> Mo, no, Mo, Mo and I have, Mo and I have been kind of talking about this all week. Um, and Mo is, I like that they're giving that Bridges has kind of the, uh, the opportunity to explore the studio space and, and see if he can break out of that. You know, there's a hard ceiling on where you, kind of as a star level player in the NBA if you're just like a if you have role player skill set and he's at least going to get the chance to bust through that now more likely than not the number one option role is going to be too big for him but if he shows he can be a two a second option even a, 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 a high level third option I think that is a, a market step forward for him in his career now the flip side is a lot of times when we see guys get thrust into this this bigger role, the efficiency kind of goes away for them. Um, like through the first couple of games, he's had about the third highest, hardest shot diet in the league. Um, whether his skill set can bear that, I am skeptical. Yeah. But maybe he'll start to get some better looks. Well, you know, he basically has slid right into the Kevin Durant role, right down to the difficulty of the shots and still sticking them. So uh, maybe, maybe he's just Kevin Durant and we didn't know it. Yeah, sure. He's Jeremy Grant. This is what we're going through again. Like it's 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 the whole. It's not a question of You're whether right. he can do it, but this is the same process, right? He's going to go mm-hmm. to a really bad team and be the number one or number two option. I think his ultimate role, I think, is I think he's a high level third option for a really really good team, and I think that's kind of the listen. He shouldn't aim for that. I'm just telling you what I right. see when I watch him with all of those things and what he's doing with that. But hey, man. The Nets right now, they got no other options. Just go. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm all for it. You know, let's let's have fun with it. I, I mean, I'm of the opinion that if you want to be a good basketball team, Mikel Bridges is the guy that you want to have around. 
But if you're the Brooklyn Nets and you're thinking about this as an asset play, like maybe they're looking, thinking about maybe moving him this summer. Yeah. Pump those stats. Like, I mean, you know, pump and dump. And he's got a good contract. He's a great player. Um, so, yeah, the better he plays the rest of the season, I, I'm if he shows more offensive, you know, sort of feel and skill, I, I think that that just increases his value. So, yeah, I, I love it. Um, Mo, what's your favorite thing this week? My favorite thing is kind of a weird one, and I hope you all will stay with me here a little bit. But uh, Charles Barkley just doing a couple of interviews. It's it's All-Star Weekend and things like that. And I'm paraphrasing, but he basically assume, assumes we're heading towards a lockout because the players are no longer respecting the fans and owners. And he's talking about guys signing long-term deals and then demanding trades and load management and everything like that. And, and it kind of being the, the case. And, and it's funny, the more I kind of see it, the more I'm leaning towards, yo, they're right. This is actually getting really bad with a lot of it. There has to be mechanisms built in now with all of these guys who are signing extensions and super long extensions. And then within a year demanding a trade, cause they're upset and things like that. I think there's gotta be more here. And I think we kind of talked about it before, but I think it's more just, you know, this is a, the NBA is a fan product. They need the fans and they need to start selling the fans again and bringing them back in. And I think it's going to be really important in this next CBA to really, you know, I think the owners are going to have to start coming down with the hammer and it seems incredibly weird to side with billionaires um, and, and, and not with labor. But I just think this is one of those things where I think the, they've gotten out of control. It's siding with the, with the paying public, actually. Like, this is the thing. Um, you know, I like Mission Impossible movies. They're great. If I showed up to a Mission Impossible movie and Tom Cruise wasn't in it, I'd be pretty pissed. You know? People don't all live in NBA cities. Some of them have to trek to go see guys. They might get to do that once a year. They might get to do it once in a lifetime. It's expensive. NBA tickets are a lot. You have a family, like let's say it's a you know family of four. It might cost you eight hundred bucks if you want a decent seat. Um, I don't have a problem with the the folks that are getting paid to play basketball being held accountable for showing up and actually playing basketball. I mean, they are basketball players. That's the thing that they get paid to do, right? It's two different things we're talking about here. I mean, there's the these the kind of the load management area of it. But this is, I mean, we're talking more about like, um, on one hand, my natural inclination is, well, I, I would like, I would prefer to work there, not here. I support that. On the other hand, like, you've kind of signed up for like losing working some here. of that control. Yeah. This isn't, this isn't and Starbucks. Yeah. And, and, and kind of as, as we're intimating, like, that's kind of what the millions are for. Like, that's, that's, that, that's what we're, the trade off is. Um, I, I still, I do think that I, I do on a broad level, I, I don't have a problem with players wanting to take control of their own work lives and careers. I think I do have a problem with kind of how they're going about it. Like, you know, you, no call, you can't no just, show. I, yeah, you can't, I mean, you can't like, okay, well, I kind of want to be somewhere else, but I still want to get paid. So I'm going to sign the contract and then agitate. That's the. That's the dynamic that is that's problematic. But but that's what we're heading towards, right? Like I actually don't have a problem with Kyrie's trade demand. He was expiring at the end of the year. 
all that stuff. The Nets clearly didn't want him. I he wasn't going like to get that, a max there, right? That was yeah, that was like fine, okay, and 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 they did well to get some pieces for him and things like that. I just think we're running more and more into this problem now, where the attitude is, just sign the massive contract. You can demand a trade down the road. I don't know what the mechanism is to fix it, but there needs to be something there. Like it's it's there there the, that attitude that's kind of becoming more and more prevalent is the issue to me. And I think that's something that, you know, like that's what my favorite thing is Charles Barkley just speaking on it in that way. And I, I don't always agree with him, which is shocking, but it's like, he's right on in this one where I think it's more just like the owners are going to come down on you because you're taking all their money and you're not even showing out for the fans. Like there's a lot in that, that I think is, is very important there. You, you know, it, it's funny, like, if you compare and contrast with the NFL, like, the NFL, the teams have so much power. And a lot of that is marketability. Also, like, basketball players individually have more impact than football players. Things of that nature. It makes it more valuable to the team. But I don't know people who are, like, jumping teams because a player moves. So, you know, in, in the NBA has this unique thing where guys are, like, fans are LeBron fans. And so they might have a... You know, they probably have a Miami hat and a, a Cavs shirt and now Lakers socks, right? Like, I think the NBA, in the way that it has wrapped itself and its marketing in the individual, created the environment that that we now exist in, right? I mean, this is sort of what they've done, where they turn these guys into individually marketable stars versus the teams. You know, I mean, the we've got the Warriors that have their core pieces have been there for a long time. Kevin Love just got, you know, bought out from Cleveland, but he had been there for nine years or something like that. Um, but guys don't stick around very long. So you either get a point where the fans are rooting for laundry or they're rooting for the individuals. And right now they root for the individuals for the most part. And so they'll just follow those guys around. So there's a tremendous amount of power there for the player because the player, his, his, Salary is kind of set by the you know the teams or the contract, but the fans are going to follow him. And 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 wait till these contracts start going to sixty, seventy million a year, eighty million a year because that's coming, mm-hmm. and fans better be ready for that. Like in that calculus in your head, when we're talking about the the low level eighth man on your team, ninth man on your team making fifteen to twenty million, like get ready for that. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna yell at yell at fans for that though. Bring the same energy when the franchise sells for four million dollars. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Like that's anyway. But I mean, I think it's just a sticker shock. It's just a sticker shock of like what? (laughs) Look, the the salaries though. When you look, when you break down NBA salaries, I I think first you got to realize how much money the NBA makes. And then you realize, oh, okay, well, it makes sense. I mean, uh, we all wish teachers got paid what NBA players do, but um, we don't put the same value in our education system as we do in professional sports. Uh, so, you know, that that that's all I got to say about that. We'll move on because uh, I don't want to be the old man yelling at the cloud either, Mo, as we talked about before the show. That's right. That's We got one of those already. 
Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Guys, I want to I want to talk, and it kind of worked out. We've been saving this topic for a couple weeks, but uh, Joe Mazzulla is now the head coach, not the interim. He is now just the head coach of the Boston Celtics. So um, they've moved on from Ime Odoka, it seems, and Joe Mazzulla has been promoted to the full-time head coach. Uh, I think he's done a really great job this season. Obviously, they're the one seed right now. They're rolling. But when you when you actually watch the games, Mo, in particular, Mo, because I know that you're in on every single play. Do you feel like Joe Missoula has put a stamp on this team? Like, can you can you see? Oh, this is a Joe Missoula thing versus an Ime Odoka thing. And obviously, they lost Will Hardy over the summer too, and and that's been a big uh, adjustment because I know he had a lot of responsibilities there. But is there stuff that jumps out to you in Boston about what Missoula has done? I mean, I think there are small things in terms of the team playing faster and, and, and so on like that. That's something that's been more of a Joe thing than an Ime thing throughout the, the season. But I think really just the bigger point is, you know, Ime, I mean, the Ime Udoka situation happened like right before training camp. Will Hardy was gone. Joe Mazzula setting up to be the, the second guy. And things like that. And next thing you know, he went from like a few days ago, just getting ready to, all right, I'm here to support Ime to, oh, I'm the head coach now. And that's a massive amount of lost time for a first time year, first year head coach to really build a a strategy for everything that they want to do. Like for people that don't understand, like when you take over the team, usually right before summer league and, and, and things like that, you're starting to put into place everything you're you know, your strategies, how you want to go about it, talking with guys and stuff. You have your entire staff throughout the summer, and although the hours aren't as intense, you're building your playbook. You're building your, what sets do we like? What do we like? What do we want to run? How do we want to defend? Things like that. You have a whole system kind of being developed. Joe Mazzulla had no time for that. So it's almost like sometimes it's hard. Uh, I give him a pass on a lot of these things because I don't think he has like a deep playbook or, or play vault, and it's not his fault in the sense of he got thrust into this role at the last second. But I think those are like when we're saying like, yeah, he hasn't really put on his stamps and their his stamp on the team in terms of like, we haven't seen stuff as X's and O's wrinkles where we feel really blown away by him in that sense. I'm not trying to say he's a bad coach in any no. stretch. Just saying like, this is just a situation, right? We don't know how much of it is carryover versus, you know, this is a, this is a Missoula set or whatever. Now, well, so this is the, the main point. You, you mentioned the play vault and the playbook. Um, how hard is it to turn around a team? Like, that's, I mean, it feels impossible to do it in a week. But just from one year to the next, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, we've got a few coaches that were new coaches in the last couple seasons. How long does it take a, a team to put in their full playbook? I mean, in, in y'all's experience. Um, I mean, it's... Never done, actually. It's sort right. of like, like Doc, still, Rivers, no, Doc Rivers has never fully implemented his playbook. No, I, I know no, that for sure. No, 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 no. Nobody has, Dave. 
honestly, it's the, the, you start and you load up with your base in, in training camp and throughout the entire season, you're group feeding stuff and you're adding pieces into it and you're dropping in little, little things here and adding more pieces to it. And as a coach, you're, you're, oh, do you remember when Memphis ran that play against us? That's perfect for us. We're stealing that. And now you're adding that to your playbook and there's, you know, and, and, and vice versa and things like that. Like you're never done. You never fully implement your, your, your playbook. And if you do, well, your playbook's not long and you need to get to work here because that's kind of the thing is you need to start adding stuff and, and tweaking it. Tell me if, if the, the coach's office places you park kind of like this, uh, the walls are all made out of whiteboard and there's just courts drawn all over the place with dudes like r- running around and like some of them, they, you know, they put them up there. It's like, bam, they erase and do something else. But some of them, you know, they keep whether they take a picture, whether they put it into like play diagramming software. And this is not just, this is not just the head coach, it's everybody. Like I remember like, like Joe Prunty would just be, you know, when he's chilling in his office, would just be like, on, on his wall. Well, I believe yeah. it about Joe Prunty. I mean, that guy's a magician. <laughs> no, but like, that's everybody. Everybody does it, right? Like you, you, you see it throughout all the coaches, the development coaches, even like first the concept of the play vault for everybody to kind of understand is just kind of like, yo, you see a play you like, you pack it away. And if you're an assistant, like, Hey, when I'm a coach someday, I'm, I'm going to run something like this maybe. And things like that. And, and you kind of start, you, you, you develop one, you know, a funny side note is, you know, when I was with the Spurs, pop had a million index cards with plays diagrammed on them. And, you know, little, you know, notes, plays, you know, he had a package of stuff for Manu, a package of stuff for Tim, a package of stuff for Tony and for everybody else and situationals and things like that. Like he had a million, that was his play vault was, a, you know, he had a secondary office and it was just a desk with index cards all set up in different er- ways and the way he organized it. But that's his play vault. And I think you, you get that from a lot of people and, and things like that. Now it's probably more digitally. Uh, with those things, but yeah, no coaches all the time experiment. You know, when I was with Vinny with the Clippers, the number of times he would come in with a new play diagram that we were throwing into the playbook and things like that. I think there's there's just a ton of stuff that these guys are constantly tweaking and evolving and trying to change in, in what they're going. And I think that's part of the the. It's funny because the, the Celtics are the number one team in the NBA, right? Records wise, I believe so. They're they're sitting there and and they're doing it almost off of I feel like memory and just the talent, whereas I feel like Mizzou and and it's because Joe just hasn't even had a chance to put in his playbook because he didn't have that time in the off season to really sort of organize it. But I think the important concept of just coaching is that so much of the work is never done. You're just constantly going and adding stuff and looking for things and and so on and. and you know, what works for your team, what doesn't. The playbook is often way bigger than the number of plays you actually run. Well, I was going to say, Boston doesn't actually run a ton of plays, right? Like, they they have sets. I, I guess a differentiation should be made here, right? Like, I mean, a, a set play, Mo, is a play where it's like you've got a point that you're supposed to start from and you're supposed to finish, whereas, you know, Rick Carlisle is very much a principles and playmaking guy. Now, he doesn't love to call plays every single time down. They have principles that they teach, and, and the idea is it's sort of like the Warriors where it's a little bit more – supposed to be more free-flowing. Like, 
when you're a team like Boston, would you rather see them run more plays, or do you do you think that being this sort of free flowing thing where they, you know, the the ball hits Jason Tatum, it hits Jalen Brown, and then the other guys kind of work around them? Do you feel like that? You know, which which do you prefer? I guess is is first, but then which do you feel is more effective? Like, could Boston ring a little bit more offense out if they just had more set plays? I mean, like the the question of which is more effective is really just comes down to each team is very different and every situation is different in in the way it works and operates. Yeah, sure, Boston could do a little bit more and do a little more creativity on offense and and do a little more and 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 really help out with those those guys. And I think you know, uh, but they're also fine. They're also I, do they still have the top offensive rating in the league? If not, they're in the top five. Like yeah, we're not worried about good. their offense, right? Like they're pretty damn good. I think some of that just comes with also this is a team that has a lot of continuity, been together for a long time with all of those things, so they can get away with it. Whereas a younger team probably needs more structure. Look at the Houston Rockets, young team needs an offensive structure and a base there, and and and, and you know it doesn't seem like we're seeing that there, and and. You know, it could be for a variety of reasons, but I think the ultimate thing is, you know, like it where you are situationally as a team, you can probably get away with less structure. Warriors, great example, been together forever. They know their principles to the point where we know certain guys don't fit, right? You know, and and things like that. So it's like, all right, they're not going to fit in that system and having that understanding with those things. But it's easier when you have guys that have been through it for so long. So I think it's a hard thing to just say, is you know there's not one for everything you know and it's it's all situational i think we fetishize like the super well drawn play like i've, I've this i mean is, yes know, we I, I do this is like my whole but thing I, about brad stevens as a coach was you know he had all these high school basketball plays and people were like whoa yeah you know? no but but uh i think it's a d'antoni thing uh, i was going back to when he was i think first with the sons they were like charting like what they got out of all their actions. And it was like, you know what? The one that it was constantly we did best out of was random. And so right. and so when we want, I think when we want teams to get into something, it doesn't need to be a super intricate fight. It's just like get into something, get an action, something that presents a threat to the defense that they have to have two guys to guard. They have to react to something. It, it, it can be as simple as a, you know, the, the, like as simple as just a, a vanilla mid pick and roll that the other team has to tag and rotate. You've done your, you've, you've, you're into something and you've created a crack. That's not, there's nothing inventive about that, but you execute it well. It's fine. It's just don't dribble for 15 seconds and then like run a crap pick and roll with 10 seconds on the shot clock and expect to get something. So, in my experience at coaching, Set plays can be exhausting if you overcall. So I I try like again I I taught playmaking principles like you know what you're supposed to do when you get the ball. I mean I stole everything I could from San Antonio. Right point five principles. You need to make a decision as fast as possible. You get to pass. You get to drive. You get to shoot. Right. It's not that difficult. So we want to set up. But situationally, you have calls that you go to. And this you know Mo like you mentioned the note cards like how specific. Are these no cards? Is it time and score? Is it just personnel? Is it, you know, sideline out of bounds versus baseline out of bounds? This sort of, you know, like two minutes, 
five point lead, something like that. I mean, you get too specific, you're probably never going to use them because then you're looking <laughs> for the perfect situation to draw. I got to play for this, you know, situation with those things. I think what more you're looking for, and with those no cards, I think generally was just it's more a a these are the plays we run for money, and a lot of these are end of game plays that Pop's going to go to. It's it's a lot of that stuff with what what he's doing with his play vault. But again, also he's amassed that play vault over at that point when I was there, what, 20 years of coaching? Like, you know, it's a different matter versus everybody, you know, like the amount of time you're in the the game, I think is is kind of that stuff. And I think the the smartest thing, the smartest coaches, I think, run stuff. And it may not necessarily be, hey, just isolation. Even Seth, just the middle pick and roll. Like there's a great example in the uh Lakers Pelicans game from the other day that I absolutely loved. They ran a set, they ran an action early to get the ball for Ingram. He didn't get it. He ran down to the 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 baseline and then they brought him back up for another screen and he got the ball at the elbow for a mid-range jumper. Right? And you know, everybody's like, oh, mid-range, whatever. But like the the concept of it was like they got movement out of that. They ran multiple actions and got a look that they deem is a valuable look for them for their player that they want taking that shot. And I think we sometimes with coaches lose that. And you don't have to call a play every time. I think yeah. I, I'm more of like, hey, put set up a system mm-hmm. and then throw in your wrinkles from time to time and stuff like that. But I think the um like the old I pass think, and pick away, right? As simple as that <laughs> yeah. even, right? Like right. just whatever. Yeah, okay, we're into this. Like, hey, we get into this, and now we're playing basketball. That's like, it. I've seen I've seen coaches say this. Like, this is the entry point, and now we're now we're just playing. Now from here, you know how to play basketball, so play basketball. I, I, I want to come back to something you said, by the way, Dave. Real quick. Um, well, before before you do, sorry, just yeah. just, just yeah. to piggyback on your point, Seth. It's basically like you can't play jazz music until you learn the notes first. Right. Right. You got to learn the playbook first before you can improvise. And I think that's something like once they have it, the Seth said, go play basketball now. I, I, you know what? Let me, let me respond to that first is this is um, I, I, something I feel like is something that people, you know, we have the, the Rockets on one end, and the Warriors on the other end, neither are very structured. And that's kind of how you, a lot of sports you see this where like the very kind of low level is completely unstructured. Then you get better. Kind of the structure kind of goes up, but then to get like truly expert, you've got to tip over the other side. What's well, art? And as Mo says, as yeah, as Mo says, okay, I know the rules now. I know how to break them. Um, and and maybe just to to put a point in this whole thing, uh, set play working on set plays is super time inefficient in practice. You guys like you guys aren't getting reps. You're not getting a lot of touches. A lot of standing around. You're 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 repeatingly work you're spending a lot of time working on something that you might do once every five games and uh, you know we, especially with as little as nba teams practice like yeah it's a different world and, well and also just the basketball is a free-flowing sport and part of like the, the guys who are at the top of it it's being able to make decisions on the fly I mean, it's important. And so, like, sometimes too many play calls can stifle that, and, and it will artificially lower your ceiling. It's just like you said. There is a point where 
to once you get to the expert level, you're breaking all the rules. You don't you don't need as much uh, of the hands on. You need more of a guiding hand, not not someone putting you where you're supposed to be. All right, now, Seth, what, um, you you wanted to follow up on something I said? No, that was it. That oh, was that was it. Okay, like the, just check. Okay. Yeah, it, it, like, it, it's 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 boring and it's inefficient and it's a bad. It's often a bad use of practice time that should be better spent on not this play we want to run. This is how we want to play. That's a very different thing. Well, it's not even that. Go ahead. Explaining why we we run a play and what the play's goal is, is is kind of more important almost in the play itself. This is what we're trying to get happen. This is what we're trying to make happen in this instance when we run this screen. We're trying to get this person to switch or we're trying to get that help guy to pull in or whatnot. And I think that's the kind of stuff that I think doesn't really get lost or excuse me, doesn't really get explained all that well sometimes. And maybe as I said, just time efficiency and things and not being able to do it with practice. I think that's really an important aspect of it, of why we're running some of these plays. I, it seems to me that there's a lot of low hanging fruit. And again, it comes from me coaching just at lower levels, but low hanging fruit on baseline out of bounds and sideline out of bounds plays. And I, I still can't wrap my head around wasting those opportunities like there are so many teams that just run nothing out of the uh the sideline and baseline opportunities you're you're really hitting my my uh nerve here dave just because it's like those are opportunities like you know i had a coach who once just asked me when you run sideline out of bounds is it to score or is it to just get the ball in and there's really two train of thoughts with that and more on the sideline out of bounds than the baseline out of bounds everybody runs the same four plays on baseline out of bounds right. we're being perfectly honest stack it's all triangle triangle one whatever or stack right it's all it's all the simple stuff there with with that but i think the important thing and the stuff with the sideline out of bounds is yeah they're just <coughs> trying to get the ball in and then get into their pick and roll like they're not even getting my problem with coaching now is we've just lost the creativity as as much as we talk about offenses being ahead of the defense, the offenses aren't even creative anymore. It's not even clever thinking for the most. So I get very excited when I see a clever play pulled out in a game. But I think the it's gotten very bland and boring. Like there is no creativity, and it's become a lot more standing around. And I think the teams that have the best advantages are the ones that have more movement and flow to their offense. And whether it's you know running a sideline out of bounds for a bucket, which like the Warriors used to do a bunch. Remember that little back pick? Oh, yeah, Steph little and cyclone slip? play. Yeah. yeah, you know, and things like that. Like there's there's opportunities there that coaches are just, it's almost like they're too afraid to do it. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. I know I'm looking outside right now. Sun's out, birds are chirping. It's time to start getting outside. Uh, I know that I like to get outside and play basketball with my kids. And honestly, I need to get into a fitness routine in order to keep up with these guys. And Peloton is there for me. Peloton's varying class links were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout, whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals. Peloton's classes were made to challenge you. There are a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, full body strength, or marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you're already excelling in. Peloton's program and instruction push you to be your best. 
Their expert coaches and nonstop vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run indoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. I mean, the the, I, the thing that, especially this year, is, is a differentiating factor is, all right, every team is trying to fill the corners. Which team has guys who are active in the corners? Like, they're going to cut. They're going to move. They're, they're, they're not going to, you know, they might even... If their man leaves, they might even cut behind and you know get a dunk or something like that. Which teams are doing that? Which teams are are ten, are using those ten guys? You just wanted to talk about Brooklyn again because that, that's what they've got. They've got a bunch of guys who work the corner. I oh. was actually thinking of Utah, but oh, uh, okay, well there you go. Utah and and actually and and, and you know and and, and uh, uh, this is I think been a part of Isaac Coro has been contributing more in Cleveland in part because he's willing to, he's been willing to shoot a little bit more, but he's also cutting out of that corner some too so he's you know that's another way of creating spacing and i think that's a i think that has to be to some degree a a, a strategic wrinkle to enable that instead of just nope just stand there yeah i think we're just kind of getting into like the the weeds here of it but i again i just think ultimately creativity coaching wise is kind of slowly dying a little bit and i How think do we it's fix kind it? of Need new blood, right? Like, but we've well, got all these young coaches, but they all have just come up in the same. We need maybe we just need. You, you, I'll tell you what, coaches. Dave. We, Dave, we need, no, 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 Dave. I'll tell you what it is. We need the defenses to catch up, because then you put, have to, to force the them pressure to take on pressure the on the offense, right? Because let's just be honest now, it's all working. <laughs> like what yeah, they're yeah, doing offensively yeah. is working. They're all yeah. scoring at unprecedented numbers. Like it's so funny to be talking about how uncreative offenses are when we're getting 120 points a night. Yeah. Or but things they go like through that. the motions, though, right? Like so. And uh, look, I know that we look at this stuff in a different way, but they do. Like the offenses do go through the motions. They're just so talented that those motions are enough. And, and I mean. Do you guys think if they if they called traveling strictly, which they've been better this year, they called the double dribble strictly, if they called the moving screen strictly, that the defense could actually apply more pressure and we would have to force the evolution of the offense a little bit more? Couldn't hurt. <laughs> I mean, it would definitely yeah. help. It's hard to guard somebody when they're allowed to take four those steps. Rules, you know, this is the thing. This is the thing. Like, part those rules are a part of defense. Like those rules are are a part of your strategy as a defender. So it'd be like if they'd stop calling guys out of bounds to me. If you won't call a travel when I force one as a defender, then okay, so you've taken a tool out of my tool bag. So I, I mean I, I I like that they've been been better about travels. I I still think the moving screens are often insane. I mean, just I'm not a get your feet set guy, but you you know, you can't be moving. Not like they do. It's it's not just that. It's just like it's the offense already has so much of the advantage to begin with. You're yeah. making it really difficult there on on the defenses in that sense. But one thing I do want to talk a little bit too, though, is we've also seen some great clutch play and some great like th- this season. Like we have seen some good stuff, ending game stuff with with the the play designs. Kerr throwing some great stuff. I mean, I did a one mo thing just on how teams are clearing out the weak side and lobbing it over the top and, and, you know, 
Spo just this week, you know, they had a, a I forget who they beat at the buzzer. I think it was Houston. Yeah, they beat Houston at the buzzer with a beautiful little setup from Spo when they had another opportunity to win and just Jimmy missed the layup. But it's, you know, like there are some really great end of game X's and O's and things that we are seeing, though, as as we're kind of going forward. And that's part of that play vault we were talking about. Right. Yeah. And and even the one there have been you're right, because there have been a lot of like last second uh, play calls that just it didn't go in. Right. And and those don't get picked up. But I mean, Prunty, like we all think about that one lob, you know, uh, buzzer beater inbound play from this season. But he's had a few end of game plays that I mean, you know, you know there there is because they're not pay you what this is the second Prunty uh reference we've got. Like a talented (laughs) offensive coach, man. Like he's he's not on your lack of creativity list. Um I'll just say that right now. That guy that guy cooks. Um I I wish I could go and just pick his brain for a couple days. But um there I mean yeah there is but but again that's I I just want to see that stuff all the time. Like I, I would love to see these opportunities not wasted and you know, we, we keep <laughs> offense has a huge advantage and we want to see them do better. I understand that that seems a little silly, but uh, it's because I want to see the defense make good plays, too. Um, you guys going to watch the all-star game or no? Are y'all are y'all out of it? I'll watch. I mean, you know, it's got your guys's favorite gimmick ever. What's which one's that? The, the captain's pick. picks. Oh, the Elon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do I do love the captain's picks. I'm actually this is one of the things where I they've made the All-Star game feel like a basketball game. Like that I and I hope it translates. I hope it feels like basketball when they're out there picking the teams. Um it's very important to me that that this goes not smoothly but entertainingly. I want this to be a fun part of the All-Star game. It should be. Picking teams that's something we can all relate to. You know, who's going to get picked last? Have you guys thought about this? Not even a second, Dave. <laughs> yeah, me either. All right. You're well, the, you're, uh, the, you're <laughs> the last all-star to be picked is not something I would be really hurt if I was any of those guys. Just, just right, wipe I, your I, tears I, there, there'll, with there'll, the, be, there'll be an Instagram post about how disrespected they felt. Whoever gets picked last, let's keep, let's keep tabs on his stats for the rest of the season. I want to see if somebody gets pissed. And just Cam turns it Thomas on level this. usage. All right, guys, let, let's wrap this up. We're, we're a bit in the weeds, and man, it's All Star Weekend. Uh, everybody, enjoy the dunk contest. I hope it's fun. Um, three point contest, all that good stuff. For Seth and Mo, I'm Dave, and this has been Nerder. She wrote on the Athletic NBA Show.